Today we're going to continue in Acts chapter 2 as we look at the impact that the Holy Spirit had on the original church, uh, the new church, the New Testament church, how it represents and it is also an example to us of what the Holy Spirit does to the church by the work of Jesus Christ, by the power of his death and resurrection and reign, and the gift that we have that Jesus said that it would be better for him to go so that he may send his spirit. Do we believe that? Do we believe that it is better for us? I am still profoundly amazed at those words that he said, that he told his disciples there in the flesh, that he would say that it would be better for me to disappear so that the spirit may come. That would be like Jesus standing here physically in the flesh and teaching us and then turning around and saying, when I leave, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and it will be better for you that I leave. That is a hard thing to fathom. But that is where we are in this day here in the church today. And as I go back and I'm recapping some places in Acts 2, and I will end on the verse that we will focus on today, let us ask the Lord to help us to believe that that is true for us today as we consider his promises and his proclamation. In Acts chapter 2, I've lost my spot here. Give me just a moment. Starting with verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourself from this crooked generation so that those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Faith comes from hearing in hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we look at your word, as we listen to your promises, as we hear the proclamation of your truth and the fulfillment of all things being placed upon your Son, our sins and our hope, all were placed upon him, him taking our sins and him giving us hope Help us, Father, to see that this promise is for us and for our children and for for all who are far off 
everyone who calls upon your name. Help us to be cut to the heart, even now as we hear your word proclaimed. Amen. My apologies for not having you stand. Um, I think I was thinking about the, um, the verse that we do not trust in the strength of horses and chariots. And I think I do not trust in my ability sometimes to be able to even read. Um, I think sometimes when I'm looking down, not only does my eye mess up, but I just get tongue-tied. And I'm thinking I'm so glad that our salvation is not based upon our performance of our time here But it is here, it is in our weaknesses, that we are able to look at his strength, at his power. Here in this particular passage that we're focusing on today, we are thinking about how there was all upon every soul that was there in the beginning of the New Testament church. That as they heard the word proclaimed, as they saw the fiery tongues of the Spirit being placed upon those who were standing around, and as they were hearing people speak of the mighty deeds of God in their own tongue by people who did not know their tongue, they were seeing that this was the fulfillment of the promises of Jesus. As I think about Adam's prayer this morning in our prayer time, how he sees how all of the word of God is coming together in Christ and how it is coming into him that in every different part of the scripture, it is a shadow and then a fulfillment of all these promises being laid forth in Christ. They too were seeing the same thing in the preaching of Peter that they were, he was pointing back to the prophets And Peter was able to say to them, this Jesus whom you crucified is the one that was promised by the prophets. And then they were cut to the heart. And then I have also preached to you that this Jesus whom was crucified for you, whom we crucified, ultimately because of our sins. If it was not for our sins, he would not have had to be crucified. And so ultimately, we are there with them in hearing this word proclaimed. And then the question is, are we cut to the heart? Are we cut to the heart in our repentance for crucifying Jesus Christ? Are we like Rembrandt in being there in the painting, there in the crucifixion? Of our Savior. But then the question here for you today is not just, are you the one who was cut to the heart in repentance? Are you the one who is devoted to the Word of God and devoted to the fellowship of the saints? Are you those who are devoted to prayer? But are you those who are in all of God? What is it that brings you to all? Don't give me the prepackaged answers of, well, Jesus brings me to all. And I'm not saying that he doesn't, but look into your life. Just as I asked you last week, what are you devoted to? What are you in awe of? What impresses you? What wakes you up and makes you look in that direction? What is it that you fear in a reverent way that you think is just tremendous and amazing. I was talking to some friends that are with us here today, yesterday, about Prince and his ability to play the guitar. It was just kind of a fun conversation and how great of a guitar player he was, but also how weird he was in so many 
other areas of his life, and it was impressive. I, I don't know if any of you all ever watched um, the, the uh, Super Bowl halftime with Prince, and it, it was amazing, his ability. And there, I don't know where his place is in the Lord, and if he trusted in Christ, and if he is going to be in heaven with us one day, I, I have no idea. But that gift that he had in playing the guitar was amazing. And I was truly in awe of that play. There are so many things that we are drawn in awe of. And some of those things are not just things that impress us, but some of those things are what drive us day by day. What is it that you are in awe of? The word here is phobos, and it actually means more so fear in most places in the scripture. But I do like how they have translated it to all because all brings in not just a fear, but a reverent respect and a wonder that causes us to meditate upon it. It's one thing to fear God. The demons fear God. They trembled before him. And we need to be those in our sin and in our weakness to fear God, but to gaze upon him with this wonder. Now, we typically go to particular things when we think about the all of God. A lot of people think of creation. It's an easy thing because it's all over the place. It's all around us. And that is one of the places that we should be dwelling upon the all of God. Today, I want to talk about the all of God's creation. I want to talk about the all of God's word. But I want to focus particularly on the all of one another and the all of us. Now, that is where I think we reside in just how I've proclaimed it to you for most Christians, and I think as a nominal perspective of looking at the all of God, we can get impressed by the things that are in creation. I took my children out recently to look at the fireflies that seem to be in more abundance than usual, along with a lot of other wildlife, and it was amazing, and we were in all of that, and that's a good thing to be in, to, to be looking at creation, but I want us to take it another level. Do we see the all in power of Jesus Christ in creation? I believe what is going on here in this particular passage is not just the nominal surface all of God being a tremendous creator. There are all kinds of people who can recognize God as creator and recognize his works, but do they recognize the power of Jesus Christ in creation? As I was preparing to go to the Museum of the Bible, I was looking at different things that they have there, and this clip came up about a particular Bible that they issued to GIs in World War II. They called them the Heart Bible, and it was just a regular Bible, but they were made of metal. It was small, and a lot of GIs have testimonies of how they were saved from bullet fire because of those Bibles, and they have there at the museum Bibles that have bullets still lodged in them, which is amazing. And inside of many of those Bibles, there's an inscription by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And it says that I am pleased to issue you this book, this wonderful book that people from all over the world of many faiths and understandings and backgrounds have found a peace 
in wisdom and comfort from these words. He had a type of all of even God's word by recognizing what impact the Bible had. But as you look at those words, the people of all faiths, people of all backgrounds, who find comfort from the wisdom of these words, you can tell, and maybe I'm wrong and I don't want to judge FDR just like I don't want to judge Prince, but it, did he have a true all of the work of Christ in those words? A lot of people recognize not only the word of God, but they even recognize Jesus as being a great teacher and a great prophet. But do they recognize Jesus Christ as the Lord of creation, as the word of God? But then the question I want to ask you do you recognize the power and the work of Jesus Christ in one another? I was trying to decide, I was actually making it a four-point thing where it was creation, the word of God, and then I was stuck because I wanted to say others and one another, but then I also wanted to say in yourself. And I was thinking, well, should I go first? Should I say Yourself? Do you recognize the work of Christ in yourself? And then do you, work it, do you recognize it in others? And I'm kind of, just to give you a little bit of a preview or spoiler, my focus is for you to start seeing it in one another. But I also wanted you to see it in yourself, and I was stuck. And I thought, you know what, instead of trying to see which one was going to be first, I realized, do you recognize the work of God in us? Do you, work, do you recognize the work of Jesus Christ in us? Because in most cases, when we are seeing the work of God being displayed in one another, it is impacting us. The work of Christ is transforming us. And when other people see the work of Christ in you, it's transforming them. So there's no way that I could have separated those two, but ultimately, in all of these things, do you see Jesus Christ? It says in James 1, verse 16 through 18, it says, Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will... He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What James is saying here is that every single good thing, every single good thing, and every single good gift, every perfect thing, everything that would draw your mind to all is from God. Now, as you may have thought in your mind, what were the things that drew you to all, you need to first recognize that those things are actually from God. And they are also for a purpose. They are for a purpose of transformation in you to draw you to Jesus Christ. And so what I'm ultimately saying is that something like the Prince Super Bowl halftime show is actually for the purposes 
somewhere in there, and there may have been a lot of other things going on. I don't, I'm not going to ask you to go YouTube that because there were some other inappropriate things probably going on in that show. <laughs> but that goodness that was there, the true goodness, the true reason why people actually want to listen to that guy, that that goodness is actually from God. But it's not just that he is bearing forth the image of God. It actually has a purpose that is going to draw people to Jesus Christ. And you're like, well, that, that seems like a stretch. Well, the Bible says that every good gift, every good gift, and we have an ability and we have a nature that God has created in us to recognize awesome things because God wants us to see it. And he wants to show off awesome things. And so he shows it off in all of his creatures. It doesn't mean that all of his creatures will be redeemed. It doesn't mean that they are all for purposes of vessels of glory of salvation. But he receives glory in all, even in vessels of destruction. But our, through our confession, assuming upon each of you that you are those who trust and call upon the name of Jesus Christ, that all good gifts, all good things are for the purposes of drawing you to him. And so we have to be careful with it. One, we have to recognize it for what it is. We have to recognize it, that it is from him and it is for the purposes of transformation so that you may be the first fruits of his glory, not princes, not mine, but his glory. Then you have to recognize the things that you're doing, that you have, the gifts that you have, the things that are being manifested, not just in creation and all of the things around us, but the things that have been given to you. Are they being used for his glory? But the focus that I want us to have today is where the passage is going. Because at one, it talks about how they had all upon every soul. And then they were seeing signs and wonders being performed by the apostles. And then it says, all who were believed, or excuse me, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, if this is a representation of what the Spirit does to the people of God, this should be a representation of what should be going on in us. That we would have an all, and then that we would see signs and wonders from the things that God has appointed, and that it should draw us, when those who believe, it should draw us together. It should have a fruit of bringing unity to us. Again, remember the sermon that I led off with before we went into Acts of Jesus' high priestly prayer. And his primary focus was that God would be glorified, that his father would be glorified by his work of going to the cross. And that his people would be drawn to him and unified together. So this particular passage is a fruit of that, that by the power of Jesus' death and resurrection and the power of the Spirit, they were in all, and then they were being drawn together because of that all. Now, most of us, when we just enjoy the creation of the world, unless we have somebody with us and we're doing it together, it's not necessarily the thing that is drawing us together. We're just enjoying it together. 
So how is it that they were drawn together? Well, first of all, they were, as it says in the passage before it, they were devoted to the word. So as they saw these signs and wonders, they were connecting it to the dots like Adam was. They were seeing how this was about Jesus, how the word of God was centered in Jesus and how all things were being fulfilled in Jesus. But take a moment and you can answer this. This is an interactive question versus the other one. What are your, some of your favorite things in Scripture that you think are awesome that God did? Just some of the first things that come to mind. Y'all can't think of any? <laughs> What's that? Walking on water. That's pretty cool. Parting the Red Sea. Another thing that he did with water, he was obviously showing that he had power over water. And he could also walk on it, and he could part it. He could stop a storm. Yes, the water in the air. He had power over it. Yes, Emily. particular things, even in the display of the power of the water, was to bring us peace. And that's really the most amazing thing. I mean, there's a lot of things that can impress people about, you know, you could probably do something to impress somebody floating on water or parting water, but to bring you peace of mind, <laughs> to, to bring you that understanding, that's transformative. That's a power that's beyond our understanding. What are some other things that you recall in the scriptures, Adam? Bringing Lazarus back from the dead. That's my point. Next point. Man, Adam's just on it. That's, gonna, that's where I was going to go. Mary. <laughs> the road to Emmaus. The transformative power, again, of even in our blindness. And that is what we're praying for today. Did somebody else have another one over here? Yeah. thankful for that passage that Maurice read today that leads up to that particular amazing thing, which is ultimately a shadow of Jesus destroying the giant of our sin and death and the power of sin and death over us. That's what it's ultimately about. A lot of people will tend to use that passage about maybe their day, and it's not necessarily a horrible thing, but it's ultimately about Jesus' transformative power over us and death. But one of the things that I was wanting to go to, and I was trying to use it as an entry, I was hoping that somebody wouldn't get it, but Adam, he thwarted my plan. 
was Lazarus being raised from the dead. I mean, being raised from death, that's, that's pretty powerful. <laughs> There's not a lot that can beat that. That's the thing that really, if what uh, Peter said, I mean, Paul says, if there is no resurrection, there is worth the most of all people to be pitied. The resurrection from the dead and how it was being displayed as an example. It was a sign and wonder like what these apostles were doing. What I ultimately was looking for was what, are, what is the purpose of these signs and wonders? All of the things that Jesus did and the apostles did and the prophets and many others did were generally in temporal form. Even Lazarus being raised from the dead. We don't see Lazarus walking around today. He said, yeah, he raised me once and I've just been hanging out. Ever since, wait, you know, he eventually died. It had a purpose. And so going to, I was looking for an example of one where, where do we get insight of what is ultimately the purposes of these signs and wonders? As we're thinking about how these people were in awe of God by the display of Christ being preached to them in the word and in seeing these signs and wonders, why are they there? And Jesus describes in the account of the raising of Lazarus, exactly why. He even says as he is going, as they tell Jesus what has happened, that Lazarus has died. But then, as he tells them, yes, Lazarus has died, there was some confusion for a moment that maybe he was just asleep, but Jesus makes it very clear for them and for us, Lazarus is dead. He has died. He's not just asleep. Some of you misunderstood my figure of speech. But he is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. He said that for your sake, I'm glad that Lazarus died and I wasn't there. Probably if I was there, I may have kept him from dying. But I'm glad that he was not there for your sake. So that you might believe. And he said, let us go to him. And as he was going there, the sisters of Lazarus came up to them, Mary and Martha. And, and they were putting forth their petition and complaint. And, and even saying, well, if you would have been there, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus said to, the, to, to um, Mary, he says, whoever believes in me. Though he shall die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Then he went farther and it says, he said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you will be able to see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they might believe that you sent me. And then he says, Lazarus, come out. This whole show, this whole display of God's power, 
this whole awesome display of his power over death was for a purpose that they might believe. And it says here in this passage in Acts, it says, and those who believed were together. And I think about this passage that, do we have things like that going on today? Well, we don't see people who were scheduled for a funeral being brought back to life. We have to remember that these things were representative for a purpose so that we might believe. But just as Anna Lee was saying, what's really more powerful that you could raise someone from the dead, but transform their heart and bring what is dead inside of us back to life. So as we think about this passage, I think we ought to think about, do we see Lazarus being raised from the dead around us in one another because that's ultimately the goal that is ultimately the goal of what is going on in acts it's ultimately what's going on with lazarus i'm sure lazarus appreciated some more earthly time with his sisters and with jesus and with other things and to be able to see tremendous things to see likely the crucifixion and the resurrection of jesus christ but his life would still end here on this earth He is alive now with the Lord. But that was just for a purpose, for something far greater than just the life on this earth. My question for you is, do you see God raising dead people in one another? And are you in all of it? Let's use the formula of what's going on here with Lazarus with how we would normally approach things. In our relationships, what causes problems in relationships? Sin, right? Selfishness, arrogance, inconsiderate inconsiderate thoughts, lust, greed, laziness, There are all kinds of things that causes problems in our relationships with one another. And what does Jesus say that the wages for sin is? It's death. And so all of these particular things that are occurring are ultimately of death. Now, What happens when we see the remnant of death and flesh being expressed out in one another? What do we tend to do? Cringe Cringe and want to get away from it. Jennifer and I were were having a conversation today, and I hope she doesn't mind me bringing this up. and, And I just said, you know, I don't want to talk to you right now. And then I realized I was innocent of the situation until I said those words. I pushed her away instead of trying to bring her in. Here we have Lazarus, and Jesus has made it clear that the wages of sin have fallen upon Lazarus. He is dead. If Lazarus wasn't a sinner, he would not have died. The only person who's ever died that was sinless was Jesus Christ. Lazarus died for the wages of his sin and the wages of Adam's sin and the wages of all of his father's sins. He had an impact. It had an impact on him. It brought forth death. Sin killed Lazarus. 
And sin kills our relationships and kills different things inside of us. And we are like Martha. We don't want to be reminded of it anymore when we are encountering it. The smell and the stench of death is something that we want to stay far away from. Martha told Jesus, you don't want to go there. We don't want to be reminded of the effects of sin and death. It stinks. This is summertime when we drive around with windows rolled down and most of the time with air conditions on lately, but you know, there's all kinds of bad smells on the road. But I tell you, there's nothing like the smell of death. It's worse, I, in my opinion, it's worse than the smell of skunks and fuel and even the manure that they spray all over our area in Mentota. There's nothing like the smell of death. There's a couple places on Barn Rock that because it's a place where animals cross and you're just like, wow, that's bad. And you just, it gets in your nostrils. That's what sin is like. And it causes us to want to, I want to hold my breath and drive out of there as quickly as possible. Roll up the windows beforehand. I don't want to be reminded of the stench of death. And that's how we treat one another. And it causes us to push away. But here in this particular passage, it says that when they were in all of God and all of the work of what God was doing and the signs and wonders that they had, as they believed, it drew them together. Do we believe? Do we believe that Jesus can resurrect the death in one of another? When we are in those moments, when we are smelling it, when we smell the sin and death coming from the mouth or the actions of the people that we supposedly love, Mary and Martha and Jesus loved Lazarus, but because of sin, Lazarus was assuming to be one that would stink because of the death of his sin or the sin of his death or whatever, the the death that was coming from him. They thought that the stench was there, and so they wanted, they wanted to be far away from the very one that they loved because of the effects of sin and death, or at least Martha did. But Jesus kept saying, do you believe? Come with me. We are going to get closer to Lazarus because I am going to come, and I am going to raise him from the dead. Do you believe that I can raise this dead man back to life? And they had to do like we did in the creed. They had to say something that maybe that wasn't quite there in their heart yet. Yes, I believe. I believe you can raise people from the dead. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe. But Lord, help me in my unbelief. And that's what we're ultimately doing. When we come here each day, we stand and we look around at each other. And for some of us, we have more intimate closeness to that stench of death because we have sinned against others and sometimes sinned against each other. And we don't really want to be reminded of that. We want to stay away from that. But we're standing here and we're looking here at this table. We're looking here at his word. We're looking here at the body of Jesus Christ. And we're asking each other, do you believe that God can raise the dead man inside of you to life. 
do you believe that God can raise the dead man inside of her or him back to life? And we're like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think I do. I mean, I, yeah, maybe. Yes, I believe. But how do we act? Are we willing to go to the grave and see that happening? Imagine if I could proclaim to people that every Sunday we're going to see Jesus raise someone from the dead here. And I could guarantee it. I mean, we would be, we would need the gym. We would need more than the gym. People would come. And then every Sunday, there were things that were going on that we would see the display of Jesus raising someone back to life. Well, Jesus said that he had to leave so that the spirit could come. And that is ultimately what should be going on. We should be seeing signs and wonders in one another and seeing dead people being brought back to life. Do we see it? Is it what draws us to one another? Do we long to see it? There has to be two components for that to happen. For that miracle to happen, they have to be really dead. I mean, that's why Jesus said, yeah, he's dead. He's not just sleeping. I mean, if I just had somebody over here asleep, and I'm like, get up. No, he's dead. He's not going to get up. You have to have a real dead person to be able to see that kind of wonder unfold. The other component you have to have is you have to have Jesus. Because I'm not going to do it. I don't have the power to do it. And the passage here tells us that Jesus is in his word. And the spirit of God raising people from the dead. Do we pray for one another anticipating that Jesus is going to raise the death back to life inside of one another? And do we draw closer to that grave and that potential stench so that we may see those signs and wonders unfold in one another? Or do we say, I don't want to talk to you? You know what? I don't even want to be there with you. You know what? I, I am going to go somewhere else. I want to go somewhere else where there's only clean and nice smelling live people that don't have any death. That's where I want to go. I don't want to go where those hypocrites are. I don't want to go where those people who have the death of the grave in their hearts. I just want to go to a place where everything is clean. Well, Jesus is not going to be there. Because Jesus said he didn't come for the righteous. He's already told you, I'm not going to that church. I'm only here for the dead. I'm only here to raise people from the dead. Well, brothers and sisters, I have an encouraging news for you today. I have evidence from my own eyes and my own life that there are dead people here. <laughs> and you're looking at one of them. There's, I mean, I'm not dead. I'm being brought back to life by Jesus. But there's death in me still that's being cleansed. And I know there's some other of you out there <laughs> that have death inside of you. And then the other encouraging thing I have for you is that we have the word of God here. 
like Scott said, and it's true. It's not because we are great, but because of the word of God is the only hope we have. We just keep putting it into the middle of the service. We know we don't have anything wise and wonderful in of ourselves that's going to bring these dead people back to life. And we have prayer, asking God to pour out his spirit. Now, in this last passage that I'm going to read to you, it's an amazing thing, and I hope you can find the all in it that I did. Because my question that I want to ask and I want you to think about at the end of every sermon for a while is, what shall we do? Well, it is answered for us in Hebrews chapter 2. It says, therefore, we must pay more attention, to pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. For since the message declared by messengers, by angels, proved to be reliable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. Let's stop there for a second. It says that we're being reminded by the writer of the Hebrews that we need to pay closer attention to what God's doing. You might be saying, well, I'm just not seeing it. I'm just not seeing it. All I can see is just death. Every time I'm around these people, I just smell death. Well, we need to pay closer attention to what God is doing. We must pay closer attention to what we are really wanting to see, which is ultimately Jesus raised people from the dead. It says that how can we escape? What other hope do we have if we neglect such a great salvation? You're not going to go to another place. You're not going to go to another marriage. You're not going to find another child. You're not going to find another work that's not full of people with death in you. You have no other hope other than that Jesus will raise people from the dead. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, that while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Basically saying that we have seen these things proclaimed in his word, and we have seen wonders and signs that attest to the fact that we have a salvation in the Lord. All of those particular great signs, even to the raising of the death and the parting of the water, the walking on the water, is that we would have peace with God and peace with one another. It says, it was for not for angels that God submitted the world to come, on which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? Get what he's saying here. He's saying, you have to understand that it's not even angels that God had submitted all of the things that you're seeing this world in and all of the things that are going on. He has submitted it to man. He has submitted it to man through the man. And what he's saying there is that it's not even angels that God has put forth all of this for. Every single thing that is good and right of from in this creation, all of the things that bring you to all are for the purposes of us through Jesus Christ. That's what's being said here in Hebrews. Like, what, why would you be mindful of us that you would submit all of these things of your all in glory before us. Well, it was because of Jesus, it says. Listen, it says, for you made him a little while lower than the angels, 
And you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So though by the grace of God, he might taste death for us. For it is fitting that he whom and by whom all things exist, that in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through his suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call you brothers. What Jesus is saying is that because of what he did, what he has accomplished, what every one of you who have sung the hymns and say, I believe what's in the hymns, I've said the confession, I've said the, the, the creed, I, I believe all these things, I've, re- I've heard the word read, I've read the word with you, I believe all these things. It's saying that for those who have had Jesus Christ take over your life, that he is not ashamed to be near you who have death and stench because he's taken it to the cross. He doesn't say, I don't want to talk to you. He doesn't say, I want to go somewhere else away from you. He says, I'm not ashamed of my brothers. I'm not ashamed of you. Because I've already taken it all on me. He draws closer to us and calls us. Because of him, we can draw closer to each other. Jesus says that he will sing before us. In Hebrews 2, it says, I will tell of your name, his heavenly father, our heavenly father, of my, to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. It says that he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help us who are being tempted. He was made like us He took on that stench of death. He took on that pain and suffering. He took on all of those things. And for those of you who believe and profess, it should allow us, when we see that happening, to want to see it more. So actually, when we see a little bit of that death and we go, wait a minute, okay, I see that death. I keep pointing to Sophia. Sophia's going to think, why are you looking at me so much? I think I'm making her anxious. I just... It's kind of natural for me to be pointing over here. I'm going to point somewhere else. (laughs) Sorry about that. But when we have that sin being shown forth, that death being shown forth in all of us, we can have a hope because he has promised his spirit for those who believe. And he has said that in my word, that if you are devoted to my word, And through confession of your sin, if you do what Peter told them to do, to repent and to be baptized and to hope in these promises, you will see 
dead people being raised from the dead. Do you believe? It should cause us to draw closer so that we can, I want to see Jesus transform this situation. Not just for them, but for me. Me and Dave work together and sometimes we don't always agree. (laughs) But it's a wonderful thing when we see the sweetness of God transforming one another, isn't it? We've got to see that because we work together, we're close to each other. We get to see the bad and the ugly, but we've seen the good too, right? We see the Lord changing. We see the Lord transforming dead people back to life. It's ultimately what he's doing. We're seeing increments of it. And that's who we are when we're here. That's who we are when we come to this table. That's why we are coming together at this table to take on Jesus. And if we believe in Jesus and we believe in his word, it says that the promise of the spirit is for us. And we know that as our grimy hands and our grimy hearts and our tongues full of deceit and deception, as we take that bread and we place it upon our tongues together, we're doing it together. And hoping to see dead people raised from the dead. Do you believe? If you don't believe, believe. (laughs) That's why God does these things. Let us go to the grave together because it's empty. We'll get there and it's empty. Jesus' grave is empty, and that's our grave. That is ultimately our grave. So we go to Jesus together, and we will get to see dead people raised from the dead. Let us pray.